whatever is there right now like is enough at that exact time like that's exactly what you like need for this like period in your life even when it feels like shitty or difficult welcome to normalizing non-monogamy the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy. Welcome to episode 177. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have a beautiful conversation with Claire. She is polyamorous and has been exploring non-monogamy for about seven years now. She has recently started a relationship coaching business and called Intuitive Loving. So you're going to want to check that out. But first, co-listen to this interview. Yeah, she'll talk a little bit more about the work she does and sort of her motivation behind it. But uh, before that, we get to hear an awesome conversation with her about sort of her and her partner's uh, adventure into this and how they've grown together and individually and just, yeah, it's it's a great conversation. So thank you, Claire, and uh, we appreciate it. And so we're going to jump into our quick announcements, but first we have really, 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 really exciting news. I didn't know what you're talking about, but then I remembered. As you're listening to this, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, April 21st, Finn and I are getting our first vaccine and we're super, super pumped. Yes, we're going to be pumped full of vaccine. Tomorrow. Well, because we're recording this on Tuesday. They don't know that. (laughs) So Wednesday. Way to blow our cover. (laughs) Wednesday, we got the vaccine. So likely when you're listening to this, we'll already have the first one. Yep. Anyway, we're really, really excited. And I just, can you tell by all my like reallys and varies and my voice? And you even forgot what day it was. Okay. We also wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who joined our meet and greet on Saturday, this last Saturday. Uh, we had over 30 people. It was amazing. Super uh, fun. Virtual meet and greet. It was. Good good caveat. It was a virtual meet and greet. It was all through Zoom. If you don't know what we're talking about, uh, you're going to want to join the next one. It's in May. We have one scheduled for May 20th. It's a Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. More information is available on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the meet and greet tab. It's only $10 and it's open to anyone. Yes. And we hope to see you there. And as Emma said, thank you to everybody who came out and made it awesome. We had a great time and met lots of new people. Yes, so. we did. We also wanted to say a huge thank you to the Patreon community that we've got. Uh, there's over 160 of you now. So awesome. Thank you. A couple of things coming up. Uh, we just had the men's group call yesterday and the women's group call is tonight, uh, Mar- not March, April 21st. Uh, so there's time still to join and be a part of that if you would like. Um, and, and we'll have more calls in May if you miss the ones, yep. the, these ones. Yep. And then we have our monthly video Q&A coming up on the 28th of April as well. So uh, we're not going to talk too much more about what Patreon is other than if you're looking for community, uh, you're looking for like-minded people, head over to our website, click on the Patreon tab, read a little bit about it and take a take a second thought about maybe joining. And if you don't like it after a month, you can leave. Yes. And before we jump into the show, we just wanted to say a quick reminder to go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. There you can find the podcast, uh, click on the podcast tab. You can see show notes along with pictures of most of our guests. And then you can also go to the contact us button, send us a voicemail, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, come on the show. Yes. I mean, hey, 
the show doesn't happen without people like you reaching uh, no, out. No, it, it doesn't. We need people to reach out. So, And also, we respond to every single email. We do. And voicemail. Yes. So, uh, yeah, reach out. We'd love to hear from you. And also, while you're on our website, there is a resources tab. If you're looking for things that we've talked about on the show or things that Emma and I use in our lives that we love, there's some links there. Some of them help support the show financially. Some of them don't. But either way, we wanted to let you know that they're there. Go check it out. Check it out. And we will see you in the outro after we talk with Claire. Yeah, let's go. Well, welcome, Claire, to the show. We're super excited that you reached out to us and that you're here today. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to meet both of you. I was on one of your virtual meet and greets, and I think that's the first time we met. So it was awesome to meet a whole group of other folks on that call as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks for joining us and hope you had at least some mild amount of fun. Um, We always have fun on them, but... (laughs) Yes, definitely. Um, Well, I mean, we we got to know you a little bit then, but um, not many other people did. Do you mind introducing yourself for the listeners and and for us as well? Yes. So my name is Claire Blossom. I am based in Athens, Georgia, and I'm from England originally, so I have that multicultural experience, I guess, of being from a couple different places. And I am in academia. I have a PhD in a social science. And uh, that's maybe some there's something about that that led me to the polyam path as well. I'm not sure. Um, But yeah, I live here uh, with my nesting partner of nearly, well, no, nine years. I said, I almost said seven years and the correct answer is nine. Um, And then I also have a partner who lives nearby that I see on a regular basis as well. But that's just a little bit about me. I also, so I am working um, in academia, but my new venture is a coaching service, which has been building in a really cool way. I'm really excited to be working with folks, um, having a broad variety of relationships, but I focus on people who feel like they've been, they're sort of a misfit when it comes to relationships. They might be polyam, they might be ethically non-monogamous, and they also might be somebody who just feels like they're not quite getting something right. Like there's something about them that doesn't quite fit in. And so I help people like as somebody who's had that experience myself, I help people work with those ideas about themselves to create what they want to create for themselves and their relationships. So yeah, that's my brief intro. Awesome. Yeah. yeah very cool. So I'm curious, you know, have you and your nesting partner been exploring polyamory your whole relationship or is when, when were you introduced to non-monogamy? So only um, a couple years after getting together, we started to talk about it. When I was introduced to it, I think was, it's got to be like 2005. So I'm 34. I graduated from college in 2008. Yeah. I remember I was at some like a very liberal kind of religious group. Like, cause I went to a very, I went to Smith college, which is a very kind of out there, like very queer space to be in. And there was a polycule that had come or like two of its members had come to this religious groups meeting. So in any other context, I would be like, wow, poly and people going to a religious group, but at Smith college, it was like, Oh, this is like the radical Catholic feminist religious group. Um, and that was the first time I got like firsthand exposure to people who were in a polyam relationship And I just never thought that much of it. I think I probably stigmatized it a little bit and was like, oh, that's really out there. Like, I could never do something like that. Like, I definitely used to be one of those people who's like, oh, I could never do that. 
Um, but yeah, then I had been dating my partner for a couple of years and I started to think about like, I was pretty young. So I was like 26 and I saw him as a life partner. And I realized we both saw each other that way and that we'd like to do that. We'd be like, let's be together indefinitely, right? Like, let's just keep doing this thing. We really want to. But at the same time, um, I always just like had crushes on other people. Like in any relationship I'd been in, I would always have a crush on someone else. I didn't think that meant that I couldn't be monogamous. I thought it was just really normal. And I think it is. Um, But it also just sort of prompted me to ask if it was something he'd be willing to try. But I also, like he had done that before. Like he had had an open relationship in the past. So I knew that it was something that he was possibly open to as well. Yeah. And so at first it was feel, it didn't feel like something we both like really wanted to explore together. But six months later, that's when we decided to really go for it. Like we had been kind of getting on the same page and just having our own interesting experiences that made him really want to try it as well. So that's, that's, that's how it happened. Yeah. Well, I was just curious, what was the, like, what were the catalysts that went from like, you started talking about it and you decided that we're not going to do it to then six months later, like, yeah, let's give it a go. Cause I think I, I, I guess I asked that because we, we hear from a lot of people who are like thinking that they're into it and their partner's not, and their partner's just never going to be. And it sounds like you yeah. both were at a point where we're like, we don't really want that, but it's, it's not always like a definite forever kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's a really important lesson um, to get from that. So what happened, actually, I remember I have like a really good memory about like specific sequences of events that happened and the like the interesting things that were happening in our lives. So we were both, okay, so it's early 2014. We had both been like getting to know we were like befriending new people together, you know, like as a couple, like you have your friends that you get before you meet each other. Um, we had started getting involved with this, um, this lefty political campaign locally here in Athens. And I happened to notice like, damn, there's a lot of like attractive people around in this, these campaigns. There wasn't anyone that I was interested in specifically, but I noticed that my partner would like, just, you know, go to more events that went on late and just hang out with people. And I was like, yeah, there's a lot of kind of like attractive, like, women around as well. So I just noticed my theory, which I think he's like pretty much confirmed, but my theory was that he was kind of noticing, but like, Hmm, lots of cool people out there actually. And like a lot of some, well, not a lot, but some of them were also in like open situations too. So that's one part of it. The second part of it is that like, so I was always like open to it. I was just like, yeah, like it's on your time. I see this as like icing on the cake of our relationship. I don't see it as like, we have to do this to make this work, which by the way, I think is something I like, and that's an intentional way of seeing things. Like, I think that we always like, we tell ourselves certain stories about relationships. Like this can't continue unless I'm able to open it up. And I think it's just important to remember that like, no matter how much you believe that, that is something you're like telling yourself to, like you could also see it in like a totally different way. But I felt on a really genuine level, like this feels like, like we're enough, you know, we're full together. Um, And also what if we did this, this would be like a really fun way to like spend the rest of our lives. So anyway, he and I go on a family trip. Um, so like I said, I'm from Europe. And so we're on a trip in Spain with some of like eight baby boomers in my family. So like lots of <laughs> older folks <laughs> who would never sit down and talk about this kind of stuff. But we're in our, our room and I had had this weird dream 
um, I haven't been someone who I've never like cheated on anyone before, but I had this dream that I had cheated on my partner and that I needed to tell him about it. And so I just told him like, Hey, I had this really weird dream. I cheated on you. Like, obviously I never do that. Cause like also part of my personality is like, I'm so loyal. Like I do all the right things all the time, you know? And that's how I was kind of like trying to approach things anyway. So I had this dream saying, I, I cheated on you in this dream and I felt really bad about it. And he suddenly just said, well, you know what? If you did, though, that wouldn't be the end of the world. And I was like, what? What do you mean? He's like, well, I've been thinking <laughs> the past six months or so that actually like this, this is something that I would want to do. So then for the rest of that trip, I just remember like spending time talking about like how we do it and what we do, like in, in, a, in a good amount of depth. And the next couple of months, we started to actually like start, you know, practicing it in an open way. When you started to go down that path of actually exploring, how did that look like to begin with? Well, I think we both had crushes on people from our activist work, and we both ended up actually dating those people. So I think there was like a couple of people he was interested in, and I was interested in one person. And um, what that person that my partner started dating, they're still together today. And they actually, she lives like next door. Um, like we found, we bought these houses that are right next to each other uh, that she happened to find, which is a really, really awesome thing. And I dated someone that we just, we dated for like less than a year. Um, I've been on more of like a, I, I think I was less interested in like a super long-term thing, like right away. But yeah, so we both kind of, it's, I guess it's kind of like a, a fun thing. Like, oh, you get to actually like date your crush while like have the exciting feelings of like I'm dating my crush like while also the stability of a long-term partnership you know like I feel like that's that can be the like where poly dreams come true um you know but at the same time lots lots of difficulty and um all of the insecurity and self-discovery that comes with with opening up as well yeah I mean do you mind expanding on that a little bit because I think that that insecurity is something that can really come to the forefront when you like you said, like we're enough for each other, but you start to see them acting in different ways, feeling in different ways that maybe they didn't, maybe they're showing more excitement than they have with you in the last year or two. Right. And you start mm -hmm. to see the energy coming out of that. And that can really start to make you question like, well, was I actually enough or were we actually enough without these other relationships? Yeah, exactly. I think, um, I really like the garden metaphor, which um, a polyam friend of mine talks about a lot, who is there somebody who's dated like a million people at the same time. So I think they really like had to come up with this metaphor. They're like, how do I keep, what does this mean? How do I met, like take care of all this, these people? But the, the idea that you have a garden that can sort of like nurture many plants. And so the way I saw it was that like our relationship as it was just the two of us, like that's like one beautiful garden that's enough. And if it was just me by myself, that's like also a garden that's enough. It's sort of like they're different from one another. Right. Um, and then you can have a garden with like, with multiple relationships. And that's like also, a I guess I, what maybe I'm using enough in this sort of way that's, that's different from like, there's some objective measurement of that. Like, does that make sense? Um, like kind of like find the garden that works for you. Is that what you're, well, or you yeah, can have multiple, multiple, like, like you don't, you don't have to just have one. Right. Right. They sort of fulfill yeah. different, different needs. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I think I'm just also into like a worldview where it's like, 
whatever is there right now, like is enough at that exact time. Like that's exactly what you like need for this like period in your life, even when it feels like shitty or difficult, but dealing with his approach, like being with a new partner, it also came up for me. Like, yeah, you're really excited to be with someone new. And like, I'm really excited to be with someone new too. I think that was where I first started to raise the question of like, what is normal? Like, how do I know what my new normal is? Clearly we're doing something that's like way outside the boundaries of what society considers normal. So how do we start to define that? And a lot of that came out of um, just communication. So we've always been a pretty like very kind of chill couple around conflict, just like not, especially like before we started um, dating other people, I feel like we just didn't have big conflicts. We started to have more like fiery discussions, you know, about like, about STIs, about excitement, about different people. And that's when I started kind of searching for this answer of like, what's, what's normal and healthy in terms of communication. So that was like the first time I like started to try and answer that question for myself. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Did you, um, I guess for people who are trying to answer that question right now, I know it kind of differs for everyone, but do you have any like thoughts or tips of how to, how to determine like what feels healthy for you? in communication wise and in, in that relationship. Yeah, I I definitely do. And so to clarify, I should say, um, I use the word healthy. I think it's also important to problematize that word a little bit or actually kind of a lot because it can be a really like an ableist term, right? Like why is healthy? Like, what do we mean by like sort of prioritizing healthy and thinking that's better, but what maybe just like, what's the relationship you want? Like what's the relationship that feels good to be in, um, in general. But I started, um, I learned about the Gottman Institute, who are these relationship researchers, and their description of the, like, so they did research with, like, monogamous married couples. But I think there's a lot about their research that can be useful for polyam folks, too. So they did, um, and it's called the Love Lab, is their research. They did research finding that among married couples that define themselves as happy there are these three different communication styles and actually neither of those styles like is sort of better than the other one like there you can have these wildly different ways of communicating and still have a happy long-term marriage um and so one of those styles is nearly completely conflict avoidant one style is kind of like a a, mo- a kind of a moderate conflict style where you're willing to talk about difficult things and you'll kind of work through things together in this kind of egalitarian way. And then one style is bickering a lot and like very high energy conflict back and forth that might seem that might have like a lot of anger or sadness in it as well. So it's not so basically like the two conflict styles like avoidance and high conflict, we think that both of those are wrong. Like one is like, oh no, you're avoiding conflict and that's bad. And the other is like you're fighting too much. But the Gottmans found that those communication styles can absolutely be a part of a happy and healthy long-term relationship or marriage. And that it's all about like the way that people prepare conflict, the way they like keep turning towards one another. And also they have this ratio where there's, they, they counted like five positive 
compared to one to every one negative interaction. Have you heard of that before? We've heard of the Gottman Institute. We've heard of the study, yeah, yeah but mm-hmm. I haven't. Yeah. I guess I haven't heard it said it in the way that you just did, yeah. and that's yeah. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Yeah, when you interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And when you started down this path with your partner, like it sounds like you went to Europe, you came back, and you're like, well, let's give it a whirl. Had did the two of you like dive into research and trying to learn about this, or did you kind of just write your own adventure to start with? I'd say a little bit of both. So I, I know there there's some folks I know who are very into like the research and like writing documents that kind of summarize everything they're going to do together. Um, we're a little bit of, we, we had been a little bit of both. Um, again, my, my kind of background is as a researcher. So I find that useful and also just, just designing our own relationship and our own normal. For example, we did both just seem to feel really early on that we didn't want to have um, like a primary secondary setup and that we wanted to practice what we would call like non-hierarchical egalitarian um, polyamorous relationships. Like we didn't know that much about it. It just seemed like something that we both valued a lot. Yeah. And so that the whole, that, that was like our new, our new, that was the work that we were doing. That was just like writing our own adventure was like, what does that actually look like in practice? Yeah. And in doing so, I know you said you were a pretty low conflict couple. When you first started doing this, like, I guess, like, how did it go? Yeah, I think that we be, we started ha- we had more conflict and that's when I was like is this okay? Is this normal? And then I read about the Gottmans and was like, "Oh, destigmatizing conflict." Just I think I was raised to just think that conflict is just not good at all. So it really took a lot of pressure off to be like, "No, it's okay to like sometimes have difficult discussions about things that really like touch on a nerve." So I would say yeah, I think we've been through I think at first, at first it was, yeah, we would just have these like times of much higher conflict than we had had previously, but at the same time we were, we were both kind of working to normalize it for ourselves, which comes along if you're trying to normalize something, then there's like also worrying about whether it's okay or not, you know, in this kind of back and forth of like, is this okay? Like, what 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 about that conflict felt a little bit out of bounds to you? What about it felt okay? I don't want to suggest we're the type of couple who like analyze that step by step because we're just not like at all. Like we're here in the deep south and like there's just a lot of like chillness involved in the way that people communicate or or sort of passiveness, if that makes sense. Like you're just kind of like, yeah, I'm not necessarily gonna give you like a five-point essay, but like let's just, we'll, we'll get to where we need to get to. And I think that was also our approach too, is just a little hands off the wheels a little bit, or what's the, like taking your foot off the accelerator a little bit and just letting things go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess I wanted to, we've talked a little bit about the beginning and, and we know your partner has a long-term partner. Uh, Where can you describe like what your relationships look like right now? Yeah. So I live with my partner of nine years until this past August, um, the, I lived with my partner and his other long-term partner. Actually, she had a tiny house that was like right next to our house. 
But in practice, like my theory is like a lot, maybe a lot of people in tiny houses don't actually just like live in them all the time because for her, it was just like, well, it's tempting to come into the big house all the time. So she, you know, she, we all, we all recently lived in this house together for about five years. And so now, um, she lives next door wanting to have more of her own space. And then she also dates, um, at least one other person. And then I have a partner who I've been dating for almost two years who lives like a mile away. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, living with the three, like the three of you living together must have uh, had, I would imagine had some growing pains along the way. Maybe I'm wrong, but <laughs> yeah, definitely some of the time it's, it's interesting to think back on it because there are things that, about having my own space here that I appreciate so much. And I'm like, that's awesome. But then I think back to how it was before and I'm like, well, but I was happy there too. And so I think that's another question for me of like creating what it's important to me to be able to create environments where I can be happy and know that like, it's less about the specific environment or circumstances about kind of like what's going on with me and like the way I'm thinking about situations. But yeah, there, I think there are some growing pains in the first year around how we live in the space together. And then after that more kind of like allowance of like, well, this is just a lot of compassion to like, this is how this person is. Like they think they've cleaned up. Um, and I'm actually not talking about like a cis male here, but like somebody yeah. perhaps thinks that they've cleaned up and you're like, Oh, that's how you would clean that up. Okay. Very interesting. <laughs> like, I'm sure that you've been really busy this week, you know? So, so I guess a, a combination of like being explicit about how we want to live together and also just like a lot of allowance and just letting people be who they are, which is another kind of like big relationship, like, um, like, I guess value for me is just like this idea of, of, um, there's a coaching concept from Carl Lowenthal called the human ecosystem, where she talks about like allowing people to be who they are, loving them for, for who they fully are. And it's like, there's something about their ecosystem where it all like makes sense together. Like if that person's really shy, then maybe that goes along with the fact that they're an introvert and you like them about that, you know? So how are like the negative quote unquote qualities can balance out. Um, like they kind of make sense with what we like about people too. Yeah. 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 And I think your point about compassion, like remembering to have compassion, like, because we, we are all human after all. Right. So <laughs> I think yeah. that's an important thing to remember too. Yeah. When you and your partner kind of jumped into this journey together, like over the last, I guess it's been about seven years or so, right. That's, am I right? Seven years or so? Yeah, you've been, about seven yeah. years. How, how have you each seen each other grow? Like, Or how have you seen yourself grow in the last seven years since you've made this shift? Yeah, well, what I've realized about myself over that time is that I just keep seeing this pattern come up for me over and over again, which is that there is something going on. There's something about me that's not quite good enough or that doesn't fit like some ideal in this way that I want to. Like there's some kind of like lack of sufficiency. So when I get to that place where I'm like 
struggling, I feel totally differently when I'm feeling good or great. Like I feel good about myself, but my insecurities and weak spots are around like, yeah, there's something about me that's not normal or that's not like quite like it somehow. And having polyamorous relationships has really helped me to like bring that to the surface and also to to normalize it for myself is something that's really common because I work with so many clients where like that's a core thing for them. I just think it's a core thing for so many people. And to to bring that theme out and have it be like, what if this is actually like something that we can really work with? What if it's not something? What if the fact that I think there's something wrong with me is not a sign that something's wrong. Does that make sense? So you're kind of like, like deeply accepting that place in our brains that comes up and is like, no, there's still like something more to grasp for, which I think is very human. Um, And just, yeah, like through difficulties in polyamorous relationships, like with jealousy, like territory, time and space that has come up many times over. And now like, it just feels more, normal actually like I didn't even mean to use that like as a keyword but it, it just feels like it, it 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 goes away it fades more quickly the fact that it pops up is less of a big deal and so because of that I actually end up feeling a lot closer to that thing that I think is enough does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah and so so were yeah. you specifically saying that like you you feel that doing or being non-monogamous is the thing that was like making you feel like an outsider and that having these other relationships and talking to other people in the space has really helped you feel less of that? Or was there just an overall feeling that like, there's got to be something more. I'm not quite being who I want to be. Yeah. I think it's the latter that there's always been this pervasive, like there's something I'm just not quite like getting that other people do get. And just the courage, I guess, that comes along with like being out as polyam in a relatively small community or a small city and then actually practicing it. It's like this like practice in, in, in dealing with that as it keeps coming up. And I think you could definitely like get more secure, um, around that insecurity through being monogamous and you learn that in other ways. Right. But I think like my particular path, it's just been like a really important way that I've, I've learned how to like find that sufficiency in myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's huge because if you, I mean, <laughs> coming from someone who struggles with some insecurity of their own, like that's when you feel that way, it's hard to feel. It's hard. It's hard to feel like, well, why would somebody else think I'm sufficient if I don't? Right. And so that can really be it. That can really then pop up all the time. You're always doubting what they think or Mm -hmm. their feelings. Exactly. Yeah. And that leads into a question too. You mentioned like being out. Are you pretty out and open about your relationship style in your community and with your family and friends? Yeah. In my community, we're pretty out. It's a small city where we've both been like reasonably like actively involved in our community in the past and present, Uh, but especially I feel like I I was a lot more active in the past and, um, people, when my partner started seeing somebody new, 
back in 2014, people would see them together a lot. Like they would go to a farmer's market or a show or something like that. And interestingly, yeah, this, I guess this was one of my first kind of like real struggles of like, what am I, what does this mean about me? Like, how do I take this, um, like information that I'm hearing? How do I process this without just feeling like I'm, you know, this like failure? I started to hear from like mostly like, like men, I guess that I knew that they had seen Chad out with somebody else. My partner's name is Chad. Um, and that they thought he was cheating on me. Like I heard from like two or three people about that where they were like, uh, like I would hear through like the grapevine that somebody had seen them out and like, you know, whoever heard about it had like reassured them, like, no, they're just like non-monogamous now, you know, like they're poly now. Um, but I find that really challenging at first. First, I felt like there's something a little misogynistic, I guess, about the, I guess just like the assumption that there was like infidelity involved that like I wouldn't have had any agency in that situation. And also just, yeah, just suddenly realizing it felt like being on stage, like, Oh, everybody's, can like see my relationships now and what if they think that she's like cuter than me or more appealing than me in some way and then like everyone will just know that and be aware of that and that's where I had to start being like wait like what do I think though like what do how do I see this situation how do I want to see this situation like this shift from like being very focused on how other people saw me again, which I think is like a very human thing that lots of us are doing different ways to like, how do I want to see myself? Um, and I had a bunch of other experiences in life around that same time, like related to non-monogamy and not that taught me that same lesson, like over and over again. But I, d- I did find it very j- challenging to my like ego and self-esteem at the time to be like, Oh, people are noticing your partner out with someone else. And I was like, well, I'm out with my partner, but also he lived like an hour away. So it was you know, it wasn't happening for me on that, on that same level with my family. Also I'm out. Um, I'm always like awkwardly inserting things about my different relationships into conversations. And I found it difficult at different times, but I'd say my my family's accepting, but they're not in the sort of like, um, you know, they're not like asking tons of questions. They're, they're English. They're a little bit traditional. I think they're just not like, it's something they're like, Oh, interesting. Well, I would never question what someone else does with their relationships. Like that's their kind of like cultural, um, like sensibility, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for sharing. I'm also curious. One thing we, we talk a lot about on our show is, uh, both physical health and sexual safety. And I'm, wanting to know like how you approach that in an open relationship and non-monogamy, um, keeping yourself personally safe, uh, physical, physically and sexually safe. Yeah. So with COVID there's like a smaller number, I guess we have like a pod, um, Mm -hmm. of people who are linked via relationships, romantic relationships. And that actually really bothers me that it seems like, the people who I'm like connected to by pod, it's more romantic relationships than friendship. Like, I feel like I don't want to be living this thing where like romantic, you know, romantic partnerships are more important than friendships. And I don't see it that way. It just seems like that's happened because people like may or may not have sex with each other anyway. And then sexual safety, um, 
when I started out, my partner and I, and like our new partners had this like sexual health and safety Google doc that we borrowed from some, like some polycule in Portland or like Seattle or one of, one of those like West coast places. I can't remember. Are you, are you all on the West coast too? We you are, are yeah. right. Yeah. So what yeah. do you, are you in California? We're in California. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. But- yeah, yeah. We, I don't know which one. It's probably, yeah, what, Seattle or Portland. I don't know, but it was a Google Doc, right? Yeah, so yeah. We, yeah. We won't we won't tell on you if you got it wrong. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Can't remember where. I just remember being like, oh, you know, people on the West Coast, like they're, I just have this impression of like Portland and San Francisco as being these places where there are way more people practicing polyamory, even though I'm part of this little like community here too. So I was like, well, you know on the West coast, like they've really figured this stuff out. So we better use this Google doc. It seems really thorough. Like these people went to a Ivy league university to, to, you know, to learn how to do this. So we use that. Um, but now we have more of an approach around, um, like trust of the individual who's involved. So rather than having guidelines around like specific activities, like if you have only been with someone for six months, you will do these activities and you will not do these activities, you know, around safe sex, like being fluid bonded or something like that. Now our approach is more around um, like trust of the individual involved. Like I trust my partner to make um, what we both reasonably agree are safer sex decisions with new people. And he and I, um, like my nesting partner specifically, we're not talking about that together. Like I'm not, we're, we're not talking about like specifically what he's doing in terms of safer sex with um, a partner that he has if that makes sense. Right. But perhaps like if something were to change or if something were to happen within his network, right, that would then be a conversation that comes back like, oh, hey, so-and-so had this happen with Mm so-and-so and and now we need to do this, this, and this to, you know, whatever this situation may be. Yeah. Exactly. We'll probably have a basic conversation about like, oh, how do you see this person's risk profile? Like, how do you want to approach things? And we might have like one or two conversations about their, you know, starting a sexual relationship with somebody new, but it's not necessarily like a thing with like a ton of, you know, follow-up conversations, like you said, unless like something changed in somebody's Mm -hmm. kind of situation. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I, I was also curious too, like with polyamory, I know there's sometimes like this perception that like you just have, an infinite amount of like capacity for partners. And it sounds like right now it's like one for you and sort of one for your, uh, for Chad. But like, have you found like, have you hit the the polysaturation limit? Like, have you found yours throughout the last seven years? Like, have you gone to like three, four or five and been like, Nope, I'm a, I'm a two. I'm a, my number's two kind of thing. Yeah. That's a really good question. So my partner actually is involved with more people. Um, than the the than myself and the other person I've mentioned. Like there's somebody else he's been dating for a year, other people who he has more kind of like crush, like flirtationships with. And I have to ask him about his own polysaturation. Uh, I know for my other partner, my who I don't live with, I think he's pretty saturated with two partners. And I feel saturated too, because I actually, I identify as kind of like a secret solo poly person. Like I don't, I actually, I really love living with a partner. So I'm not interested in not living with, with him, but I really, I really value like having 
in in the sort of like the Virginia Woolf sense, like literally and metaphorically, like a room of my own. Um, and having the space to just like be with myself, um, be with my like spiritual practice and not like always be with somebody else. So in terms of, I, I think that I would be too saturated to, to date somebody else. So mm-hmm. I think that two is definitely my saturation point. Yeah. 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 And kind of along those lines, and this maybe you kind of just touched on this. I was earlier, I was going to ask like when you and Chad opened up that shift from like, we do all of these things together. It sounds like you were in a lot of activism together. You lived together. You kind of had a life together. And now all of a sudden your time is being divided up, you know, either two ways, three ways, four ways. How did that transition go for the two of you? Um, well, one thing is, I think, I don't know if we started spending less time together because we, we had just, let me see. We just started living, we started living together the same year that we started dating other people. So we hadn't gotten into like a cohabitation arrangement where, um, the other person was just like always, always around. There is one thing that I have found difficult, um, to find my new normal around, which I feel very differently about like speaking about it right now, but around weekend time together, um, I have struggled with, here's, here's what comes up in my mind. I think about an old married couple that has their weekend coming up and they're like, Oh, well, what do you want to do this weekend? They're figuring out how they want to like spend it together. This sort of like ideal, like what it means to be happy in old age. And I've had this idea. There's like, if we can't have like completely free, like unbridled time together, like all weekend, that there's something about that. That's not like normal, I guess. Like there's, there's something not even normal, just like that things should be that way. Like the way things should be is that we have just like this huge expanse of free time together over the weekend. And so that's been like the one thing that we've had, like, really big arguments about during the time that we've been together. And it's sort of a strange paradox to me because even when we were monogamous, like on the weekends, I would want to hang out the night before, hang out a little bit the next day and then go do our own thing. So like in practice, that's kind of more what I actually like want. Um, but there's just this this sort of, I guess there's normalcy and there's also FOMO. Like those things kind of stick out for me a lot and also for clients that I work with. Like a FOMO that like, what if there's this parallel life you could be living where you just have this blissful expanse of time spreading out ahead of you, but instead you have like this more divided time with other partners so yeah. yeah which is which is interesting because you you sort of chose the non-hierarchical route which would sort of open that up to be like time is everybody's in a sense right it's not like you don't own his weekend any more than one, one of his other partners owns his weekend at that point kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah is- at the same time um since we started having relationships with other people it's been really grounding 
and helpful. It might not have to always be this way, but it's been grounding to have like a routine of like, these are the times that we spend together. I'm sure that some kind of polycules or couples might set that up on a week to week basis. But for us, it's pretty like consistent days um, and times. And so there's, there's something about that. I think both for me and my nesting partner, my partner, George, who does not live with me, there's something about that, that just it slots into our brains really easily um, Mm -hmm. and seems to work really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I can see too, how then those weekend times sort of get a higher value placed on them, right? Like that's time where you're not also thinking about your job or, or something else going on. You can stay up a little later, you can sleep in a little later. And so that time has, it's a little more precious. Yeah. It's it's, it's just different. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I used to see it that way. I don't know that I do so much anymore just because I, um, I do love weekends. I love that like extra time. I just started to just like with anyone in general, I'm just like this past weekend, for example, I went for a walk with a friend and I was like, I want to see my friends on the weekends. Like there's nobody who's telling me what to do with my time on the weekends, but I'm like, why don't I see my friends more like, yeah, COVID is one reason, but just kind of, I don't know that like when I actually come, when I actually ground in what do I really like want with my time, it's not always seeing the person that I also see a lot of the rest of the time. Like I want, I want to have weekend time with my partners. Yes. But that's not necessarily like the whole weekend or like some very specific set of like parameters Mm -hmm. around the weekend. Um, And this is also like such an important thing for me, just like this is a coaching concept, but that's a very dry way to put it because it's just like completely changed my life. But seeing seeing a a circumstance in general, like a Friday night, a Saturday morning, to see that as like something that's kind of qualitatively better or more relaxing time than like a Thursday night or something – it's not super helpful to me because like, it's like the way I'm like, I could be very stressed out on a Friday night or a Saturday morning. Like there's something about like the objective, the circumstance itself is not like objectively superior. It's about Mm -hmm. what I'm thinking and what I'm kind of choosing to, to think and the kind of intention I'm putting into that space and time. Like I basically like I have more control, more agency, in a given circumstance. And I really realize, and that has just like totally shifted my life. So I used to be like, yeah, weekends are for fun. Weekday nights are less so. And I'm like, wait, weekday nights are amazing because you work and then you're just like chilling. And what I, I like working quite a lot, you know? So like having a balance of both is like, that's pretty amazing. So yeah, just like we, these, we have certain conventions of like how we see different like times of the week, but sometimes it's like, why? Like, well, what if, what if I want to see it differently? And I find that really empowering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think love that's, that. Yeah. I love that too. Thank you for explaining a little bit more about how you view that. Um, I think it's really helpful. And I was also wondering, have you and your nesting partner or even just you by yourself uh, considered exploring different other different types of non-monogamy in any other ways? Like for example, more of a swinging dynamic or anything like that with any of your partners have, has that ever come up? No, that hasn't come up um, around swinging. I think it's a really interesting subculture and one that I don't know too much about. It's just, um, 
Yeah. No, I, I that hasn't really come up. Yeah. I was just curious because it's always fascinating to see like how and why or learn how and why people choose the path of non-monogamy that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah and, and we talk to a lot of people who seem to blend the two. Yeah. Um, you know, we've talked to people in polyamorous relationships who swing with some of their partners and we talk to people who swing with some and they have deep relationships with others. So there, it's a very, uh, there's a lot of fluidity and blurring of lines. So it's just an interesting mm-hmm. to see how different people approach it. We also like to end the interviews or get towards the end. We like to ask a fun question about, to, I guess, about bloopers that may have happened in your relationships, uh, because we like to show that relationships and sex are not always as perfect as they might seem. <laughs> so do you, if you have anything that comes to mind that would just be kind of a lighthearted, it doesn't have to be exactly sex related. It can be relationship related too. Yeah. Let me think about that for a second. Oh man, I have to think about how like both both my partners have beards and so someone, you know, someone will be like, "Oh, you know, which one's which?" but they don't really look like each other, so it's not really like an actual clone situation. <laughs> um I guess, yeah, here's one which I feel like this kind of speaks to like toxic monogamy culture too, but the first year that um, my nesting partner was dating his partner who used to be his nesting is now lives next door. She is from, uh, an area of South Carolina. That's pretty close to where my parents live. And so we decided that she would come like stay at my parents' house for like a night. It was just like a logistics of traveling situation. We're like, yeah, can our friend come stay? Like we, we were not out yet. It's just like, Oh, this mysterious friend wants to come. And so my, I guess my dad, I kept noticing him kind of like looking at us and just like, he was figuring out some mystery. Like he was, he kept like, like he was like, aha, like I see what's going on here. And he was like, I guess he thought he had figured out that um, my partner's other partner was like, trying to steal my man basically and so this was not offensive to me at all like it came up later on and we just like talked and laughed about it but it was like oh like I could just see him because like my dad's like this very smart man I could just see him kind of being like aha I think I figured it out like he's (laughs) trying to get Claire's partner I was like okay sure like that's not so much but when you're seeing through things through your monogamy lens like there's only one option right like there's no possibility anything else could be going on well, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 It's hard when, yeah, that's, you don't have that framework that like, oh, potentially this is all on the, on the up and up. But, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Make assumptions. Yeah. We'd also like to give you the opportunity to, I know you do have a coaching business. And so if you'd love to, I'd love, we'd love it for you to talk a lot of, bit more about it here. Yeah, 100%. So my business is called Intuitive Loving, and I am a coach. And what I do in that work is I work with folks who are interested in getting past that point of thinking that there's something about themselves that like should be different, something about their relationships that should be different than exactly how it is. So getting from a place of insecurity to like deep security, deep sufficiency around who you are, who you want to be in your relationships. And of course, being a polyam person, I focus 
a lot on ethically non-monogamous polyam folks. Like I said, I also work with people um, who consider themselves in some kind of unconventional relationship. Um, And so doing one-on-one coaching in the past um, couple years of my life has just completely changed my kind of self-concept. I had done therapy before that. I'd done meditation and, you know, spiritual practice. Those have all been massively helpful to me. And then coaching, it was like setting, it, it, it was kind of like, okay, you're training the rocket. You're getting the rocket ready for takeoff and you're putting it together. You're putting it in good shape. And that's like these other practices. And then coaching is just something about the rocket just taking off. So I'm super just like dedicated to the field and the practice of coaching is something that helps us like get to those like impossible goals that we didn't think were possible, like feeling for, and for some people, for a lot of people that can just be like feeling like I'm not just sort of okay in my relationships, but actually like I'm awesome. My relationships are awesome. Any issues we have, we're going to work through them and getting, you know, you think that somebody else is secure in relationships and it's never going to be me, but that actually can be you. Um, And that's like the key message that I bring to people. Awesome. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Do you have anything? No, I was just going to say links to everything. All of your information will be in our show notes so people can easily find you without having to do too much hunting. So that's a little bit for the listeners. And then, yeah, are there, is there anything else that we didn't maybe didn't talk about that you wanted to share or leave uh, with the listeners before we let you get along with your evening? Yeah. I think just one more thing that's really important to me around polyam ethically non-monogamous relationships is that there's something where we have decided to have relationships that are not exactly what mainstream society says we should be doing. And so I think there's a, a point at which we have to do more work to figure out not just what is right or how things should be, but how we actually want things to be. And I think that sometimes people see like doing that extra work as extra work, right? Like it's not fun. It's like a bad, you know, it's a negative like kind of side effect that comes with pursuing the kind of relationships you want. But I want to suggest that it's actually better because we get to radically define what we want. Like maybe partners decide that because of one person snores all the time, they don't want to sleep in the same bed. And instead of making that something about like, oh, you know, that's a sign that there's something wrong with our marriage, our relationship, things shouldn't be this way. You could decide like, actually, this is awesome for our relationship and our marriage. And this is exactly what we want. And actually studies show that like couples who sleep separately and feel fine about it, like end up having like much better relationships. Like that doesn't mean like you can sleep together and have good, really much better relationships too. But if you have some serious, like, you know, a snoring issue and you want to separate beds, like, that can actually be this like massive booster to the quality of your relationship. But the key message is that like you, anything that you feel shame around or like a should around how you think a relationship has to be, but there's some force pulling you to do something different. Just examine like, why do I think things have to be this way? Why do I think, why is this should here for me? Is it because of some completely made up concept about like what, 
a relationship is supposed to be, what intimacy means, and find like the creative ways to redefine intimacy for yourself. Um, And that's like the superpower I think that comes with being ethically non-monogamous is that we get to do that just like over and over again. Um, And as we're like, in many ways, push to do that work, it can also be this like deeply liberating path for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's I love awesome. it. Thank you. And I like that message of basically, yeah, just not doing things just because every, like everybody around you says that's the way to do it. Like actually questioning it and figuring out what's best for you, regardless of what anybody else says or does or thinks. I mean, and that's, that's mm-hmm. tough to do. That takes a long, that's a lifetime practice. Mm-hmm. Of, yeah. Of and it, it can be, it can be easy actually to find new norms within ethically non-monogamous communities. Like, Oh, well obviously Mm -hmm. like this is how a certain partnership should look like everybody. There's still like these shoulds like below the surface, my kind of way of seeing things. And this also comes from the Gottman's is do you have respect, trust and affection in your relationship? Are these things that are present and that you both, you know, not both really, but like, do all partners think that those are important things? And when you have those foundations, like the sky's the limit in terms of how, uh, you know, unconventional you can get and be happy in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you for everything today. It's been fantastic chatting and thank you so much. Uh, yeah, no, thank you. And we'll let you get along with your Georgia evening and We'll be in touch. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Have a great afternoon. And we're back. Thank you so much, Claire, for reaching out to us and for all the amazing work you do and for sharing your beautiful story. So we love talking to you. Thank you again. Yeah, it's awesome. And also, thanks for being so out and open in your community. I know that's not always easy to do, but it sounds like you and your partner and partners have built a pretty awesome poly network down there uh, in Georgia. So congrats on that. And thank you for helping to normalize. Nominate. Dun, 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 dun. Nailed it. <laughs> All right. What else? We just wanted to remind people again, we've got a meet and greet coming up on April, May, May, May 20th May. Uh, from 6 to 9 p.m. Again, links on our no, website. No, 6 to six 8 p.m. To, Pacific. Uh, it doesn't matter. They can go look in the, go to our website, there click you go. on the meet and greet tab. The e- details are there. You sound annoyed with me. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm going to leave this in so people can hear what happens when I make a mistake. <laughs> I just like to point it out. And uh, tonight, there's the women's call for the Patreon group. Again, thank you to all of the amazing Patreon, Patreon, Patriots, Patriots. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I'm going to stop. Thank you. Uh, The men's call was last night, so you missed that one, but there will be another one in May. And we have our Q&A coming up next week, uh, next Wednesday on April 28th. And Emma and I just got vaccinated. I think that's all the update recaps. It is. I just want to note, too, on the men's and women's groups calls, these are open to anyone that identifies with those groups. So we're trying to come up with better names and what what to do with those. But we just want to make sure it's clear that... um, if you're interested in joining, please come join. Yeah, they are safe spaces for anyone who would like to join. Uh, we've had non-binary people join in the past and have gotten feedback that they felt super safe and welcome in both groups. Yes. So we just kind of wanted to point that out. Um, so, yeah, thank you again to the Patreon people for making that amazing and welcoming. It's a lovely community, wonderful community. All right, enough rambling. Next week, 
We got an interview with Cat. Yep. Another cat. Another cat. We got. We have a cat from a while ago with one T. Uh-huh. We've got a cat with two T's. Uh-huh. And then in two weeks, we've got Kitty. Uh-huh. So... Don't get confused. They're not all they're not, <laughs> they're not all the, the same. same people. No, they're not. <laughs> Nevertheless, uh, we're excited for that. It's a great conversation. And Kat's been on a bunch of the uh, meet and greets. She has. So that's awesome. So anyway, we will see you in a week with that. And we're excited to be vaccinated. Woohoo! At least halfway vaccinated. Halfway vaccinated. We're in this beginning. Well, you know what? We'll probably give you an update when we get the other half. Of course. Well, we're going to be excited. So, all of right. course. It'll probably be in about a month. <laughs> since that's what what the standard is. Thank you for explaining that. (laughs) Okay. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.